Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 384, and today we are talking about books being released on October 18th, 2022, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Tears of Price, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Tears of hello. Hello, Liberty. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How about you? I'm pretty good. There yeah. are books, and that makes me happy, so yeah, things are good. Yes, it's like the most spectacular time of the year, perfect to cozy up with good reads, and there's so many new releases out this week. Yes, it has been a spectacular October. Did I already say the word spectacular? I don't know. <laughs> Worth saying again. Um, I'm excited about that. On the day that the show goes up, it's the first day of the Celtics new season. So then I will be watching a million basketball games and trying not to talk about them too much <laughs> on the podcast. But I am excited. By the end of last season, yeah. I was like, I've had enough of basketball. Plus, like, they went all the way to, like, yeah. the finals. So they that was, like, a season. long season. Yeah. So I was like, I'm done, but now I'm like, more basketball, yay. So I'm excited about that. That'll be fun. And let's see what else. I was supposed to go to Book Moon last week in East Hampton, which is Kelly Link's bookstore. Uh, I didn't get to go, but I am hopefully putting in a trip next week because you know me, I don't have enough books as it is, so (laughs) I need to go get some more. And I think that about covers it. I got all my traveling obligations out of the way, all my events. Uh, so I have a little break, which is which is nice. And it is. Um, now that my other job has finished, I don't have as many books that I have to read. So it's been wild, like just being like, I'm going to read this and I have the time to. Like, I want to read Yay! this book. You know, I've been reading a lot of comics, which is fun. Danica introduced me to the Laid Back Camp manga series. And there's 12 issues, so I've been making my way through that, and it's just a delight. And now it's cold, and all the leaves are are turning red here. Ah, tis the season. I'm jealous you get red leaves. Here in Iowa, we basically just kind of turn brown or yellow, and then everything Uh, just dies. I know. Yeah, and like, I was in Michigan last weekend, and I was driving through the state, and I was like, color, actual color. Like, there's just, (laughs) yeah, it's it's probably all has to do with like geography and science and weather. Yeah, soil. um, Yes, it's just so wonderful to see the glorious colors. Yeah. We had a stretch for a couple of years where we did not have beautiful foliage. And, you know, we get millions of, you know, leaf peepers in New England every (laughs) year. And they were very disappointed. I was very disappointed for myself and for them. Oh, yeah. But this year, it's amazing. But it's, it's weird. Like, we have a tree in our front yard. And we got married in front of it two years ago next week. And almost all the leaves were off. 
And then we had a picture taken under it last year on the same day, and it was green. <laughs> like, none of the leaves had changed. And now it's, like, in between now. Yeah. So I'm like... I don't understand. Uh, well, <laughs> happy early anniversary. And oh, thank you. Yes, we both we both were 2020 October weddings. Yes, yeah, so happy anniversary to you Thank as well. you. Yeah. What a time. What a time yeah. to get married. <laughs> yeah. I've met so many people in my travels, like in New York and Rhode Island, the last couple of weeks uh, who were also like COVID wedding people. You know, many of them just did, like, small ceremonies because, you know, the pandemic or had to cancel plans. And there's so many of us now. (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot of us probably, like, especially because if we were planning on getting married in the summer, by the time fall hit, we were all just like, oh, forget this. We're just going to do it. Like, (laughs) we got married in a little park and I was like, okay, now it's done. I'm happy. It's we we did the deed. (laughs) Yeah. That's how I felt, too. People keep being like, what's being married like? And I'm like. Well, the same. Exactly the same, yeah. One, I've already done this before, and two, it's like it's just the same. Yes. <laughs> but that's good though for me. It is anyway. good. Yeah. Yeah. So I am going to tell you about a book that is out today, but before I do that, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing. Okay, so you've heard me talking about this the last couple of episodes. It's officially out today. It is Reading the Stars, Astrology for Book Lovers by Book Riot. And I'm very excited to read this um, because I do not know anything about my astrology. But I did have a very nice listener who reached out to me this morning because I was talking about how my sign is cancer and like one of the big things about being a cancer is that they're very family oriented and I do not consider myself to be family oriented and they were like but you love your cats so much they're like your children they're your family and I was like you're right (laughs) my cats and my friends like I would do anything for them they are my family I am family oriented so thank you nice listener for pointing that out you know there are many definitions of family so I'm gonna go ahead and say yes I fit all the things like the descriptions of a cancer I guess I don't know but There's so much to learn about your own sign and other signs, too. Are you a Libra who prefers balance and fairness or a Pisces whose emotional intelligence demands a vulnerable memoir? Reading the Stars will help you better understand how your zodiac sign shapes your reading life and offers book recommendations to help you build on your strengths, explore areas of growth, understand your own sign, and learn about others. Whether you know your birth chart by heart or are just getting curious about astrology, reading the stars is for you. I still don't even really know what a birth chart is, but when I worked at the bookstore, I did have a coworker who used to call her a psychic all the time and, and have her birth chart discussed with her. I don't even know what that means, so I'm going to learn <laughs> when I read this book. Publishers Weekly calls Reading the Stars an ideal gift for bookworms with a celestial bent. And through October 31st, you can enter to win Book Riot's Reading the Stars with an obvious date celestial print, notebook, and tote bundle. You can win those things. You'll find the link to the giveaway in our show notes. Go to bookriot.com slash all the books, and you'll find a link to enter. 
Reading the Stars by Book Riot is available wherever books are sold. Awesome. And all right. So, yay, stars. Now we're going to talk about other books out today. I'm going to kick it off with one of my favorite author discoveries of the last decade. It is Seven Empty Houses by Samantha Schweblin, translated by Megan McDowell. Schweblin is the author of Fever Dream, which I know I've mentioned on the show like a million times. It was my book obsession. I've read it a dozen times. I still haven't watched the movie! I don't know if anyone else gets like this, but when I love a book, I get very nervous to watch the adaptation. I have, I have like, like no reason to be. I mean, there, I have no stakes in it, but like, I, I don't know. I just get so nervous. Like somehow, if it's gonna, it's not good. It's gonna change things for me. I don't know, but I, so I have to watch it. I should watch it. Um, Shublin is also the author of Little Eyes about those creepy little stuffed animals, and the story collection Mouthful of Birds. All three of these books have been nominees for the International Booker Prize. Fever Dream was actually a finalist for the International Booker Prize. And this collection, Seven Empty Houses, is a finalist for the National Book Award for Translated Literature, which I love Riverhead, the publisher. I love this book. I'm pulling for this book. I am a little disappointed that the employees didn't make it to the finalist because that is one of my favorite books that I read last year, um, The Employees by Olga Ravin and translated by Martin Aiken. It's also a tiny little weird book if you like weird science fiction that doesn't even really make sense, but it's just so awesome <laughs> you, you can't stop reading it. Um, I would recommend The Employees as well. So now I am pulling for Seven Empty Houses. These are seven stories about seven, say it with me now, houses. This <laughs> is a little less speculative than her previous works, uh, but still unsettling and amazing. Things happen in these houses. They are called empty, but... The houses are occupied, they're occupied by people, by things, by ideas, by trauma, by the past, and they're also metaphors for other spaces. One story is about a woman who is losing her memory, and in trying to keep some semblance of order in her life, she writes herself notes all over the place, but she gets a little confused and she becomes suspicious of the boy next door and thinks that he's doing something bad. There's a very distressing story of a young girl and her parents who are in the car on the way to the emergency room. There's one about a woman who returns to her native Argentina and goes out to run errands, but finds that her hometown is not as she remembered it. There's another story, now that I'm thinking of it, of a woman who goes out, uh, leaves her husband and goes out and walks around the town with the custodian uh, who works in their building. A lot, of, a lot of moving around outside of the houses in these stories. There's also one about a woman who steals something important from a neighbor's house, and a story of unconventional grandparents and their former daughter-in-law. I... Loved this collection. I love Samantha Schweblin. I also have really strong feelings about living in a home. Growing up, uh, I always lived in, in apartments or, or one-room places, even, most of them. And so when we moved into this house, this is my very first time living in a house like that stands alone, that no one else lives in it unless they live with you. And, and there's like weird things that come along with that. Uh, you know, when there are noises in the house, it's not somebody else in some other apartment making a noise. It means that you need to investigate what that noise is in your house, which is kind of creepy to me. I don't like not having that extra layer of protection. Like when you live in an apartment building, like so, like someone can just walk up to my front door now, which they do. Like people solicit, they knock on the doors and I hate it. Um, it used to be that, you know, you'd have to get through the vestibule and then the next layer of door protection and then to get into the apartments, you know. So it's weird to me that I go out to my car, which is parked in my front yard, 
and I live on the busiest road on the eastern seaboard, and traffic has stopped, and everybody's watching me take my groceries out of my car. <laughs> I feel like I'm on display. Like, like homes are, are, like, I'm learning about homes, and, like, it's, it's very weird to me. Um, that's just my little rant about being awkward and shy, I guess. I don't know, but... <laughs> You know, when I was reading this book, you know, I'm thinking about, like, houses and and how almost arbitrary they are sometimes, you know? Like, there's this very thin layer protecting you from the outside, and it's just, it's very interesting to me, and this made me think of that a lot while I was reading it. And part of what I loved about this book, and, and it, it worked, spe- worked specifically for me, because I've read all of Samantha Schwoblin's other books, is the anticipation. Like, having read her earlier works, she's so good at doing unsettling dread, and she's so great at writing objects. It just really ramped up the tension for me. And while I did not find this one to be as creepy or um, weird as her others, it's still, it was a great feeling. I'm just like, what's going to happen? <laughs> you know, in like a different way than when I'm reading a book by an author I'm unfamiliar with. You know, and like I'm reading this because I'm going to find out what's going to happen. I'm like, I know something weird is going to happen. So it's just so great. I do want to give content warnings for child endangerment and death, grief, trauma, illness, and loss. This is Seven Empty Houses by Samantha Schweblin, translated by Megan McDowell. Awesome. So my first pick of the day is a, just a brief, cute little graphic memoir called Maybe an Artist by Liz Montague. And Liz Montague is black. She grew up in a mostly white suburban New Jersey neighborhood. And she tells the story of basically what it was like growing up and and maybe trying to think about what she wanted to be and kind of waffling about whether or not she should fully commit to art. And so the memoir starts when she's five years old um, on September 11th, and it kind of goes through her schooling years of you know, how she, as a young kid, discovered art because she liked that she could use art to convey messages and kind of uh, get attention for issues and topics that she cared about. So she kind of briefly flirted with the idea of being a journalist. Um, but then she would, rather than write out um, what she investigated or discovered because she had dyslexia, so writing was really hard for her, um, she would draw these pictures and then people would be like, well, that's not really journalism. Uh, maybe you should just be an artist. So she was like, oh, maybe an artist. And I kind of liked reading about her, her little evolution there because now knowing that she is a cartoonist and she has seen her cartoons published in the New Yorker, um, it's kind of cool to see her come full circle. So the book goes through her elementary and middle school years. It talks about, you know, her struggles being one of the very few black kids in her her school and like the expectations and the assumptions that came with that. She also goes through her high school years where in middle school and high school, she kind of distinguished herself as a really talented track athlete. And she felt a lot of pressure to um, really lean into that and be very good at running and um, sports because the sort of you know, implicit or even not so implicit, but very explicit um, assumption was that like, you'll be able to get a track scholarship, but you probably won't be able to get a full scholarship on artwork. And so she was really unhappy, but that is kind of the route she took. And it was until, wasn't until she was in college and she 
was there on an athletic scholarship and she hadn't declared a major and her advisor was like you love art like take art classes do art and she finally committed to it and um so that was kind of just like the memoir part so it is just kind of skew more young adult the the thing that i almost wish we had seen more of but it was still great was the after her college years and the adulting sort of um, afterward. She talks about how um, she was really frustrated that the New Yorker was constantly publishing um, white cartoonists. And so she actually wrote to them and like an email, like something to consider. And, and she was like, I don't know if you realize this, but you publish like a lot of white cartoonists. Like, have you ever tried to like find people of color? And they wrote back to her and they were like, well, who would you recommend? And she was kind of a little bit spicy about it. Like, why should I have to like do the heavy lifting of, of finding like diverse artists for you to publish? Um, so she wrote back and she recommended herself and they actually started publishing some of her cartoons, which I think is amazing. Um, so this is a really great uh, memoir. You can read it in a single sitting. I did. I just sat down the other evening and with my cup of tea and I read it in, in one sitting before I even finished all my tea and it was just very delightful. So that is Maybe an Artist by Liz Montague. And I think it's like a great pick to hand to especially teenagers who might be considering an artistic field and, and might not be sure what they want to do with their life because you don't have to have it all figured out by the time you're 18. All right. My next pick is one that people have been anticipating for a very long time now. It is Madly, Deeply, The Diaries of Alan Rickman, uh, by Alan Rickman, I guess I have to add, but uh, it makes sense. Um, Alan Rickman, obviously the beloved actor from Die Hard, Robin Hood, Sense and Sensibility, Truly Madly, Deeply. He was Professor Snape. Uh, Rickman died in 2016 at the age of 69. Uh, He had been writing his diaries for many, many years with the intent of publishing them. This book goes from... 1993 to 2015, and an editor worked with his widow to condense it into one book. It's a bit like the Warhol Diaries, uh, which I read when I was in elementary school and probably like most of it went over my head, but they're very small entries, uh, you know, sometimes just like a sentence or two about a person or a thought or something that he's done. And, you know, they're like in these tiny little bites. I'm going to read you a tiny little bit to give you an idea of what it's like. This is from the year 2004. 1 May. A message from Sigourney W. talking about play in New York this summer. Also spoke to Ian McKay, who had seen Hamlet last night and was shocked at the general level of acting. But how crazy to have a profession and a press who are slavering and it's your first real exposure. 3 May. The Wolseley with Juliet Stevenson and Mark. Not to mention Lucian Freud sitting at the table adjacent, as was Bob Hoskins. But L.F., for God's sake, with his beautifully tied tie. 6 May. Rufus Wainwright at Dingwalls. Plangent would be the word, and he certainly enjoys making the sounds. A consonant here and there, and hearts would crack. Talking to him afterwards, he has a high-pitched giggle that comes as a shock. First of all, I had to look up what plangent was. It means loud, reverberating, and often melancholy. But so like that just gives you an idea of you know, what this book is like. And it's kind of like tweets almost. It's like he was doing little tweets uh, before Twitter was a thing. Sometimes 
there are footnotes that try and explain the context or a movie or like for Hamlet, it, there's a footnote that gives you the director and who was in the play at the time. Uh, sometimes it gives you an idea of the person he is referring to. Obviously, you get a pretty good idea when he says Sigourney W. and Ian McKay. Not not the guy from Fugazi, but Ian McKay as in McKellen. <laughs> um, but he's very funny and he's cranky and he's very critical, mostly of himself. Now, in order to read this, though, I have to tell you, you have to get through the heart squeezing forward by his friend Emma Thompson, which made me cry so much because, ugh, just did, because I just loved Alan Rickman and his movies, and it just was like, oh, his friend talking about him, I cried. Uh, but it actually, it didn't make me sad again until we get to the end, because you know that it's going to come to an end. Uh, in 2015, Rickman had a small stroke and then was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Uh, so the last several entries are December of 2015, the month before he died, and they're some, they're mostly just a name or a title of something that he saw. But Rickman is is very smart and often very thoughtful. It's weird to like it's weird to critique someone's diaries, right? Like these are are their thoughts and feelings and but sometimes it gets to be a little dry and tedious if you sit and read it all at once because it does feel like you're sitting sometimes and reading someone's Twitter thread for several hours. You know, so maybe you read this, like, in sections or by year or by month. Um, and like I said, he wrote with the intent of publishing, but we don't know his exact intent, you know, if he was going to flesh these out or, you know, what he was going to do with them. Um, this is definitely a treasure for his diehard, haha, pun intended, fans. It's just a candid look at his work on stage and screen and super insidery baseball with all the celebrity references and just a general, you know, fuzzy, warm feeling read, especially for people who loved him. This is Madly Deeply, The Diaries of Alan Rickman by Alan Rickman. Oh, Alan Rickman. I know. (sighs) Made me feel wistful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, who didn't root for him in Sense and Sensibility? Nobody. I know. I know. I, yeah. I just, every time I see something that he's in, it just makes me so sad that there won't be a new movie with Alan Rickman. Yeah. Um, All right. But moving on. Um, My second pick is Drizzle Dreams and Love Struck Things by Maya Prasad. And this book is so darn charming. Um, It is a book about four sisters and it has kind of like a, you know, cute sort of clever conceit of the four sisters are the protagonists for each section and the book is broken up into four seasons and each of them have a romance. And I am a huge sucker for like atmospheric and like really just like sensory type settings. This book takes place on Orcas Island in the Pacific Northwest, which is a place that I have never visited, but I've always wanted to go to. And it takes place in the Songbird Inn, which is where the four Sing sisters have grown up. Their father owns the inn. They lost their mom when they were very young. And sadly, their, I mean, their father remarried. And they love their stepdad so much, but unfortunately, their stepdad has now also passed away. Um, So that all happens before the book starts. And at the beginning of the book, they learn that the Songbird Inn has been named the most romantic inn in America, which is actually a really good thing for them and for the family business, because 
that means more people coming to the inn. So the book starts out with in autumn, my favorite season. So it's perfect for this time of the year um, with oldest sister Nitty. And she has like very, you know, strict regimented plans for her next few months. She's a senior in high school and she finds her plans completely upended when a tree comes crashing literally through her bedroom ceiling and they have to get it replaced and or the, the roof has to be replaced. Everything has to be repaired and all of her plans kind of get scattered as she is reconsidering everything. Um, sister um, Avani, um, she is still dealing with the grief for Pop, her dad's late husband, her stepfather, and she is planning a winter ball in winter, obviously, um, for um, like in, in his memory, basically. But then she gets trapped in a barn with a boy that she stood up during a blizzard. So, you know, we love a good forced proximity romance. Um, in the spring, Sarisha is trying to figure out a way to basically step out of her shell. She's a photographer. She usually is the one behind the scenes taking photos, not at the center of things. But then a very, very pretty girl who is an actress for a stage comes to the Songbird Inn and um, she has to find a way to get over her shyness. And finally, in the summer, um, Ronnie is a hopeless romantic and she um, has a sort of love triangle going on in the summer. So it's kind of fun just to see like the different sisters, the different personalities, the different seasons. It's also cool to see the book kind of span over like the course of a year. And, and so you move to a different protagonist in a different season, um, but you still see like what the other sisters are doing. So that's just, you know, really fun. There's only one book I can think of that really has a, like a format or a setup like this in YA. And that's Confessions of the Sullivan Sisters by Natalie Standiford, which I don't know if it's still in print, but that book, when it came out a few years, a few years ago, it's probably more like close to 10 years ago now. I love that book so much. So this one was really fun to read because it, I just loved the setup. I loved everything about it. Drizzle, Dreams, and Love Struck Things by Maya Prasad. All right. So those are some books that we have read and loved, and now we are going to talk about a couple of books out today in hardcover and paperback that we haven't necessarily read, but we are excited to pick up. I'm going to start with Lavender House by Lev A.C. Rosen. I actually started reading this just before we started recording today. Um, I opened it up. It's being called A Queer Historical Knives Out, uh, which sounds exciting, but also everything is being compared to Knives Out right now. Um, it's the new Gone Girl. Uh, it's set in 1952, California. The narrator is Andy Mills. Mills has just recently been fired from the San Francisco Police Department. He was caught in a raid at a gay bar, and they have relieved him of his position at, at the police department. So now he is drowning his sorrows at a bar when he is approached by an older woman who says that she thinks there's been a murder. She can't tell him about it there. She has to bring him someplace and he uh, at this point in his life feels like he has nothing to lose so he goes with her she drives him to a place called the lavender house it is a giant mansion that is hidden away uh, and the inhabitants who live there 
are, are free to love as they want. And it's like this secret place owned by a family who runs a very successful soap company. Now, Iris, the owner of this company, has died in the house in a fall two weeks earlier. And her wife, Pearl, who is the one who approached Andy at the bar, thinks that she was murdered and wants Andy to solve it. She hears that Andy is no longer uh, working at the police department and thinks he's in a perfect position to help her out with this. Uh, Also living in the home is their son, his boyfriend, the son's cover wife for public appearances, and her girlfriend, the wife's mother, and the staff. Andy must figure out what happened and worry that he might be sleeping under the same roof as a murderer. Like I said, I'm only 30 pages in, but it's very compelling. And I do want to give content warnings already for homophobia and homophobic language, suicidal thoughts, and gore. I can't wait to see where this goes and what happened. It is Lavender House by Lev A.C. Rosen. Awesome. I um, am here for all the Knives Out comps. I know it's like being super overused at the moment, but I love Knives Out. Well, hold on to your hat because I'm going to say it again in a few minutes. (laughs) awesome all right my um another anticipated book that i want to talk about is nothing sung and nothing spoken by nita tindell and this book is set in berlin like right before or right at the start of world war ii um and it is about the youth um swing movement which i feel like I remember watching a movie in, like, high school that was probably, like, some high school history class where, like, we had a day where they were like, we're going to watch a movie. And everyone's like, yay. And it was about the youth swing movement. But, like, that is, like, the beginning and the end of my knowledge of this movement in Germany. So it is about Charlotte, who is enamored with her friend Angelica and Angelica brings her to an underground club where there's, you know, American jazz and swing. And it's definitely not allowed by the Nazi party, but this is what they are super into. And, you know, if you know anything about like history pre-World War II, especially in Germany, like there, there was a thriving queer community and there was, you know, research going on about queer relationships and all this stuff that just completely got destroyed and stamped down by the Nazi party. So obviously this is setting the scene for what the story is going to be about. It's not going to probably be a happy story, Um, but I am really excited to read this book because I'm always um, excited to read historical fiction about queer characters um, because as we now know, there are a lot of queer folks throughout history and you know, it's it's nice to see stories that center them and do it in a way that doesn't solely focus on, like, tragedy or oppression. So I'm really eager to pick up this book. And that is Nothing Sung and Nothing Spoken by Nita Tindall. Okay. And before I tell you about my next one, we are going to hear from another sponsor. All right. So my other pick for today is... Lonely Castle in the Mirror by Mizuki Sujimura and translated by Philip Gabriel. This is a Japanese puzzle book about a lonely young girl who is really unhappy with school and her parents. And one day she sees something shimmering in the mirror in her room. And when she touches it, she gets sucked into this fairy tale world where there is a castle. 
And guarding the castle is a girl wearing a wolf mask. Why? I don't know. I haven't read it. But there are also six other students who are there at the castle. And they learn that somewhere hidden in the castle is a room that will grant you a wish. But they don't know where it is. And they also learn that there are a lot of rules to be followed in the castle. And they can be punished severely for breaking them. And... I'm guessing, because I haven't read it, the idea is that as they work together to navigate the castle and find this hidden room where they get their wish, they will become friends and become less lonely. It says here in her bio that Lonely Castle in the Mirror won the coveted Japan Booksellers Award, was voted by booksellers as the book they most like to sell, and became an instant number one bestseller in Japan, selling over half a million copies which is pretty good. I also want to mention, because the girl in the wolf mask reminded me that last week I read a book that came out. It's a picture book, a kid's picture book called The Wolf Suit by Sid Sharp about a lamb who wants to go out into the forest and pick blackberries, but there are too many wolves in the forest. So he puts on a wolf suit to go out and get the berries. It's super cute and super funny. And I recommend that one as well. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, And this other one here that I hope to read soon is Lonely Castle in the Mirror by Mizuki Sujimura and translated by Philip Gabriel. Awesome. All right. My last pick for today is We Are the Scribes, written by Randy Pink. That's um, Randy with an I. And this is another YA novel that really draws upon um, some historical, I guess, historical context and historical movements. Um, Randy Pink, I feel like, is a really great historical fiction writer. This is kind of her first contemporary book to my knowledge um, but it has sort of like a magical element to it so randy has written um, a book about the tulsa race massacre and the greenwood neighborhood in oklahoma um, she's also written a book about the summer before roe v wade was handed down which you know might seem a little bit like worth revisiting as that reality becomes more and more like our current reality. So this book, We Are the Scribes, is about a teenage girl named Ruth. Her mom is a senator. Her dad is an African-American history professor. Her older sister is an activist. Like her family is just like super involved in being, you know, involved in like history and making change and being really good advocates. But she is not somebody who really feels like she is on the front lines of all of that. Um, she loves reading. She loves writing in her journal. But a tragedy occurs and she can no longer write. And her mom is, you know, pursuing her political aspirations and not really present. And then that's when Ruth begins to receive these mysterious letters. And they are mysterious because they're written on parchment and they have the special seal. And the seal reads, we are the scribes. And also the letters are sent by Harriet Jacobs. Harriet Jacobs, as in the author of Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl, which is an autobiography. It was published in 1861. Harriet Jacobs was enslaved. And um, if you've never read Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl, I highly recommend you do so. It's it's pretty short, actually, but it's quite a compelling and just very, um, like, very well written, but sometimes just kind of breathtaking story of 
her life as an enslaved person and the lengths that she had to go to in order to obtain her freedom. And I would venture, I guess, to say that a lot of us would not have been able to do what she did. It's very, um, very harrowing, but it's a very good and very important book. So Ruth starts getting these letters from Harriet Jacobs and she's kind of like, am I... Like, what, what is going on? Like, am I losing it? How How is this possible? And these letters are really kind of telling her that, like, you know, you, you have to be a scribe. You have to use your voice. You have to write things down. And so this is a book about these two people from two different times and just kind of, I guess, the power of using your voice and bearing witness. So... I'm really interested to read this book, and I think that it will be very fascinating, and I'm curious to see how the two elements are woven together. So that's We Are the Scribes by Randy Pink. All right, and now it is time for the paperback lightning round, in which I (laughs) talk faster than usual. Uh, Kicking it off with Tastemakers, Seven Immigrant Women Who Revolutionized Food in America, by Mayuk Sen. This is a group biography of seven extraordinary women who were all immigrants from around the world who each left a mark on what Americans eat today. The President and the Frog by Carolina de Robertis. Uh, Robertis is the author of book riot favorite Cantoris, which we all love and talk about all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a novel, in case you couldn't tell, since it is about a, a frog. The the former president of an unnamed Latin American country who is discussing his life with a frog. Uh, Reprieve by James Han Matson, which is one of my favorite books from last year. This is a horror novel with so much more, many depths. It's set in the late 1990s. It takes place as a, at a full contact haunted house in which there is a competition. You have to get through all five rooms without saying the safe word. And if you can, you win a ton of money. And only one group has ever successfully completed this. Uh, Now there has been a murder at the house. And we are going back through transcripts and through three different narrators to find out what happened. Love this book. Perfect for this time of year. Pick it up. Uh, The Pessimists by Bethany Ball, which I also enjoyed a lot. It's set in the Connecticut suburbs about these couples with seemingly picture-perfect lives, and their lives are unraveling behind the scenes. There's a husband who is obsessed with becoming a doomsday prepper suddenly, a wife who gets a diagnosis and she is hiding it from people in her lives. Uh, There's a man who has embarked on an affair, and all of these couples sort of revolve around this coveted private school that they want their children to get into or that their children attend, which has its own secrets. The Days of Afrikiti by Asali Solomon. Um, this is being compared to Mrs. Dalloway. It's about a dinner party for the supporters of a politician who has just lost his bid for the state legislature. More Due by Alex Phoebe, which is the beginning of an epic fantasy trilogy. Uh, I, I have this. I keep meaning to read it. I haven't gotten to it yet. But the beginning of the blurb for this book says, God is dead and his corpse is hidden in the catacombs beneath More Due which is so intriguing. Baggage, Tales from a Fully Packed Life by Alan Cumming. This is Cumming's second memoir. Uh, He is the actor and writer. The first memoir was about his childhood and his relationship with his father. This is about his work and carrying that trauma with him everywhere he goes in adulthood. Monster in the Middle by Tiffany Yannick. Yannick is the author of Love 
oops, not love, land, land of love and drowning. Uh, and this is about a couple who meet, and then we look back at their families on both sides, going back generations to find out, you know, if this was meant to be. A Marvelous Light by Freya Marsk. This is about a man who accidentally becomes liaison to a hidden magical society and the man who helps him navigate the new job and its dangers. The second book in this series, called The Last Binding Series, is A Restless Truth, which will be out on November 1st, and this is being called A Queer Knives Out on a Boat. So there's your Knives Out reference that I was telling you about. Also out today, The Book of Magic by Alice Hoffman. This is the fourth book in the Practical Magic series. I believe this is a, a prequel. I believe all the books prior to Practical Magic are prequels. I could be wrong, but I think they are. Um, this is the fourth one. And Empire of Pain, The Secret History of the Sackler Dynasty by Patrick Radden Keefe. This is about the Sackler family whose company created OxyContin and enabled the opioid crisis in America. Now, out for paperback originals today... Partners in Crime by Alicia Rye, another Book Riot favorite. This is a romance in which the main character tries to find a match using a spreadsheet, but no one is working out for her, and somehow it brings her back around to the first man she rejected. Unicornado, another Phoebe and her unicorn adventure by Dana Simpson. Uh, we are big fans of Phoebe and her unicorn here. As you know, at all the books, I've talked about it many times, about the little girl Phoebe and her unicorn who is named Marigold Heavenly Nostrils. We gave out unicorn names at one point to people who asked for them. Um, Tirza, have I ever given you a unicorn name? Do you remember? <gasps> no, but I want one. Okay, then I shall now dub the Daisy Glitter Ankle Bones. Love it. So there you go. The Tiger and the Cage, a memoir of a body in crisis by Emma Bolden, out from Soft Skull, one of my favorite publishers. This is about Bolden's lifelong struggle with chronic pain and endometriosis. Lech by Sarah Lipman, another one of my favorite authors. This is Lipman's debut novel. Uh, she's previously published collections Doll Palace and Jerks, both of which I love, and I'm so excited about this novel. Freestyle, a graphic novel by Gail Galligan. I actually got to see Gail talk about this book a few weeks ago and her process in drawing the illustrations for this book, and she's done illustrations for the Babysitter Club graphic novels, and it was just so fascinating. This one, Freestyle, is about two friends who get into competitive yo-yoing. Built to Last by Aaron Hahn, about a second chance romance between childhood friends, and Sensory, Life on the Spectrum, an autistic comics anthology by Rebecca Allerton, which is the contributions of 30 autistic creators about their autistic experiences in the world, ranging from being diagnosed to uh, having lived their whole life uh, having been diagnosed autistic. Uh, and that is it for paperbacks today that I have to tell you about. Tirza, what are you going to read next? Okay, well, nobody hate me for this, because I know we're still in the midst of spooky season, and I am here for it, but... I did just pick up Just Like Magic from the library. It's written by Sarah Hogle, and it is about a down-on-her-luck woman who is basically, she used to be really wealthy, and she had this fabulous life, and now she's squatting in Colorado, and she accidentally plays a Christmas vinyl record backwards and conjures the spirit 
of the holiday season in the form of an attractive man named Hal who is very jolly and loves Christmas. And it's, I, this Amazing. Book is, I know it's been described as like delightfully unhinged to me and I <laughs> am all here for it. It basically sounds like if you wanted to like channel the energy of the movie elf into an adult romance novel. And I'm like, yes, yes, please. So just like magic by Sarah Hogle, I cannot wait. Awesome. And I am going to start The Deep Sky by Yume Kitase. This is a sci-fi thriller debut about a mission into deep space. There's an explosion. Loyalties are tested. I'm very excited about this because the editor is Zach Wagman. I love the books that he works on. I read everything he tells me to, and I'm never disappointed. So I'm very excited about this. And I'm also going to read The Light Pirate by Lily Brooks Dalton, because Rachel at Print Bookstore in Portland recommended it, and she and I have very similar taste in books. So um, I hear it's very much like Station Eleven, which I cannot wait to find out for myself. So that is it for us today. Yeah. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can check out Reading the Stars, Astrology for Book Lovers by Book Riot, available now wherever books are sold. You can also enter to win at bookriot.com slash all the books. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. Tirza hangs out on Twitter at Tirza Price. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Franzen Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.